You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Huddle Analysis. You're offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. I'm continuing to speak with Mike McMahon, College Hockey Insider, as well as senior writer for the College Hockey News. We're talking about CHL players being eligible for the NCAA. Now, Mike, you know, we've talked about some different timelines in regards to when this can happen. And there are procedures in place that have to be completed by the NCAA. And we, you know, talked in a previous segment about, you know, the coaches having some input into this, but at the end of the day, the NCAA is going to lay the hammer on this. So walk through some of the procedures and some of the timelines that you're aware of and what's the next steps of this process moving forward. Uh, sure. So some of these committees, I don't know what the, the official name is, right? But the way it kind of goes is the coaches will meet in the spring and, and in Naples. I think that's either last week of April or first week of May. And that's when they'll officially kind of give their opinion in the NCAA of, of this is what our findings were. Uh, this is what what the coaches, the coaching body's opinion is. Uh, the NCAA takes that from that point and makes their decision. And, and let's say for sake of this argument, they decide we're going to say that these players are eligible. That's what we're going to rule. It would then go into, you know, that would probably happen early in the summer. Uh, and then as it was explained to me, it would go to uh, another level of a committee, uh, let, let's call it. I don't know if it's called the legislative committee or the governance committee or whatever it is. Uh, but that would happen either late summer 2024 or, or early part of the fall in 2024. Uh, and then it needs to go to the, the D1 council, I think is what it's called. That's kind of the final step. Uh, and that's how it gets implemented into NCAA law or legislature or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and that would probably happen. And they, this is roughly because the dates of these meetings can change. Uh, it was explained to me they, probably about a year from now, January or February 2025, uh, which is why the change would the earliest I think it'd be implemented is for the fall of 25. So we're talking about that 25-26 season uh, as being the earliest that the that these changes could be in effect for. If there's any delay. In that process, which I mean, sometimes when you're dealing with, with this sort of thing, there there can be, it may get pushed to that 26, 27 season. But either way, most people who think most people in the NCAA, both at the team level and at the NCAA level, uh, at, at the, the in terms of the institution of the NCAA that I spoke to about this, all kind of felt that that 25, 26 season was more than likely going to be the first one. That's interesting because that's the same information that I received when I was doing some due diligence on the subject matter. And, you know, both you and I have been holding this discussion publicly for quite some time, waiting for sort of the shoe to drop. And I think finally, after Christmas, the shoe kind of finally said, okay, this is going to happen. This is when we had to start thinking about and talking to people about okay, well, then how does this transpire? How does this all play out in terms of, so what are the next steps in terms of procedurally? But then also you got to look at it from a CHL standpoint, and that's going to be an interesting discussion as well as how do they how do they structure it as well. Like, like the one of the interesting things that people may not realize is the NCAA is not going to go to CHL and say, what do you think? They're just going <laughs> to no. the let the players be <laughs> eligible and say, hey, by the way, exactly. you guys are eligible. Yeah. 
Yep. Now that's all they're going to do. Anyone else needs to react to it can react to it. The right. NCAA is not having discussions with any other league. They're just saying the players are eligible now. That, exactly. Right. And then, then how does that, how does that change the CHL? And then how does that affect the junior a leagues? How does that, oh, affect, a trickle down. Yeah. How does that affect the USHL? Right. And we've had this discussion about, you know, how does that impact the USHL? And how does that affect the high school hockey in the United States? How many players from high school hockey are going to get potentially bumped out of scholarships because you have a CHL player who's played potentially say, say he's played that players played three years in CHL against really tough elite comp um, competition. And then as a 20 year old is eligible to go play, say potentially as a 20 year old goes to play college hockey. Who are you like? Who's going to get bumped out for a scholarship? You're going to take a high school kid out of like say out of the Northeast or or Minnesota, or you're going to take a kid who's who's been hardened by the CHL for three years and is a 20 year old yeah. over an 18 year old high school kid. I'm like I'm not saying high school hockey is not good, but it doesn't compare to the CHL. Otherwise, the majority of players in the NHL draft would be drafted out of high school. They're yeah. not. It's it's interesting because I was having this discussion with an agent uh, last week, actually, and and it's interesting because from an NCAA perspective, the talent pool is going to get bigger here in terms of the the Massively. pond that they have to fish in to get players gets bigger. But at the same time, the the opportunities are going to shrink because you're going to have players that were not eligible for scholarships before that are now going to be eligible for scholarships. So before, if you chose as a 16 year old, I'm going to go the CHL route. You, you are not going to play college hockey. You're never going to get a scholarship. That was determined when you were 16 years old. Now that player can go play in the CHL at 16, come to college when he's 20. So now you, there's going to be the players will have the opportunity to actually do both, right? Play in the CHL at a younger age, come to college when they're 19 or 20 years old. So for, while the pool of players gets bigger, the opportunities for, for players shrinks. is going to actually get smaller. It's, it's kind of a weird dynamic the way it's going to work out. One of the other interesting things is how the USHL is going to react to this because it could put them at a disadvantage. They may have to, and we've discussed this off air, is they may have to pull themselves away from USA Hockey and saying, okay, we're loosely affiliated, similar to what CHL is with Hockey Canada. We're affiliated, but we can't be directly affiliated at this point, we need to be on the same level as the CHL players. Otherwise, we're going to be at a disadvantage of recruitment, which could totally change the dynamic of junior hockey in North America. So it's not that you have a CHL option and a USHL option, and the USHL players will go on to play college hockey. Now it doesn't matter. So potentially change mm -hmm. how they operate. And they may have to operate exactly like a CHL team which changes how they potentially recruit. So then it could yeah. just open it up where it could be in a situation, Mike, where the USHL ends up banding together with the, C the other three CHL leagues. And now it's four team, four leagues. Mm -hmm. And they all work in conjunction with each other. And then those players move on to play in college hockey. But I think what it's a lot easier to have a Memorial cup. Yes, from that standpoint, but league. and and then and then you have the considerations of the junior A leagues in Canada, and how it affects them, 
And that's where I think the super leagues will come into place where, you know, you have like five really strong teams in the BCHL and five in, in the Alberta junior league and they get together and play a super team. And then the other junior A teams generally become probably junior B and that yeah. then end up may being the same similar situation. What happens with high school hockey in, in the United States, like it could be right now, it's a pretty strong tier and has influence. And a lot of those players go on to play college hockey, but it could push them into a lower tier where they are almost mm-hmm. like junior B in Canada. So it could be this tiered system where, there's the USHL and the CHL as this upper tier, and then maybe a Super League in Canada of maybe 10 or 12 teams of Junior A, and then it'll be like Junior B in high school hockey. Is that lower? And they yeah. end up may end up feeding Division Three, Like those high school, unless you're an elite high school player in the United States, you may end up having no choice but to go to, to Div-, Div Three instead of Div One, unless you change your tune and go and play in the USHL or the CHL. It, it's going to be a chasm. It's going to be a massive change, potentially a massive change to what junior hockey and high school hockey is in North America. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, because the USHL component is interesting in, in all this, but it, they are different in a lot of ways in the CHL, not just in the way they operate, but in terms of some of those markets, like I don't know that they could survive up against some of those top CHL sure can. I mean, you look at some of the top I think teams they can. Swift you know, current. some of them can some of them absolutely can look if you can I, have I, a, I, if you can have a swift current or a bay como or a noranda in the CHL all the, the USHL markets will be fine I, I think most of them will be I think there's some smaller markets that even right now struggle a little bit financially where now if you're looking at the the potential for having to compete against those bigger those really those, those much bigger programs uh, you know, I wonder if some of those owners decide, hey, we're going to take a, a different path. You know, I, I think I, I, don't I think, think the majority of them would be would be fine. I think I think the majority of them would be fine. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder about a couple of the smaller ones, uh, just yeah. in terms of because it sounds like, you know, there, there's there's a couple of those smaller markets I think that are even a little bit behind financially from the rest of the teams in the USHL. We can see that. So uh, let's continue this conversation as this story develops. But once again, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back on Hockey Prospect Radio right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. 